Well, it's great to be back and worship with you. Everybody has, most everybody probably has heard of the story of Jonah. Guy gets eaten by a big fish and tossed out. But there are critical lessons for us as we, as we really begin to understand what, what's really going on. Jonah is that small book in the Old Testament, so much more than a historical record of a Jewish prophet who swallowed by a big fish. In fact, it's the Holy Word of God. Because it's scripture, it's packed with lessons for us. God worked through his servant Jonah centuries ago the way he works through us. All followers of Christ are servants of the Lord, doing his bidding. Look carefully at the whole story. Most folks know the, know the basics. Jonah is swallowed by this fish, but why? And crying out loud, what lessons there for us? The first three chapters in this small book of Jonah, he's disobeying, running away from a, a job God told him to do. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah sails towards Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is about 2,000 miles away from Nineveh in the opposite direction. He's running as far away as he can, thrown in the water, swallowed by the fish. God, in loving discipleship, kind of brings him back. Three days in the fish, dumped back on land, said, now said, now you still must go to Nineveh. That's what you're supposed to do. The return trip was kind of traumatic. But isn't that the way it typically is? When we disobey, our return to obedience can be traumatic. Our return to obedience can be through discipline. But in Jonah chapter 3, verse 2, he's recommissioned. He's told again, you go preach at Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian, Assyrian Empire. He's out of the fish. He's reminded of the call. Jonah, uh, Jonah chapter 3, verse 2. Get up. Go to that great city, Nineveh, and preach to it and tell you what to, I will tell you what to say. So, he doesn't want to go. He runs away, swallowed by the fish, brought back in the same direction, told, get up, start traveling, go back to Nineveh. I will tell you what to say. And the results are one of the greatest revivals in the history of earth. Take a look at it, Jonah chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. The people of Nineveh believed God. They announced they would stop eating for a while. They fasted. They put on rough clothes to show their sadness. All the people in the city did this. From the most important to the least important, when the king, now for them that would be like a mayor, of Nineveh heard the news, he got off off his throne, took off his robe, covered himself with rough clothes, sat in ashes to show how upset he was. I mean, the whole place repents. I mean, wow, this is a great revival. God's going to withhold his judgment against that city. He's going to withhold his judgment against that nation because of that revival. That's the way our lives are. When we repent, it always brings forgiveness, not wrath. Wrath we deserve. I mean, the prodigal son deserved wrath. Instead, he got forgiveness and love. This capital city of Nineveh is forgiven. God's hand of judgment is held back. And we get to the fourth chapter where it all comes together of Jonah and Jonah's upset. Now, this part throws me. Anytime I pastor and hold a revival and there's a great outpouring of God's presence, lives are changed, it's a spiritual adrenaline. I mean, I'm so fired up. 
It seems weird to me that this guy has led one of the greatest revivals. The entire city repents. This guy has led one of the greatest revivals of all time, and he's upset. He's unhappy. He's incredibly sad. Wait, wait, wait. wait. You know, could, could it be? Maybe he wanted more souls saved. He, he knew some people that, that, that didn't convert, knew some people that didn't, didn't come to God. Maybe, maybe that, that makes sense. Maybe he's upset because as great as it was, he wanted even more. No, that's not it. He actually is upset because too many came. He's actually upset because the revival was so wonderful. He's actually turned off because of how great the revival was. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But this, now this is, re, is referring to the great revival, made Jonah very unhappy, and he became angry. Weird. But to the point, why? It, it, it does beg the question, how in the world is a preacher that unhappy about the most successful revival up to that time? we got to go back. He didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place, remember? He's sailing towards Tarshish, 2,000 miles in the opposite direction. He figured, if I go to Nineveh, God will do a great thing there, and I will go in the other direction. I know, it still doesn't make sense, does it? Jonah did not want God's mercy on Nineveh. Jonah did not want God's mercy on the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were known to be one of the most cruel of the ancient people when it came to warfare. The torture of their enemies was legendary, and now their enemy was the Jewish people, Jonah's people. Jonah would rather have God's judgment on that city rather than mercy. He did not want God to hold back his wrath on the evil city of Nineveh. Let the Assyrians get what's coming to them. As far as Jonah's concerned, they deserve God's judgment. They deserve eternal hell. They deserve everything without mercy. You're saying... Ooh, it doesn't sound like a preacher to me. <laughs> but I, I think I can put that in context where you kind of can f- see and feel what he felt. Consider the architects of Nazi Germany. Their torture of the Jews. Those furnaces where hundreds of thousands were mercilessly killed. Now, what about those surgical rooms where without anesthesia... Amputations were conducted to really measure pain levels in, in war situations, in battlefield situations. When you think about the atrocities, I mean, sickening atrocities that the Nazis did, is there some part of you that says, maybe they don't deserve heaven? When you think of, of, of the uh, atrocities that they did, maybe they don't really deserve salvation. Now, picture a Jewish evangelist called to Berlin at the height of Nazi Germany. At the height of the Holocaust. Would they really want God's grace extended to the Nazi empire? Would they really want God's grace extended to where the Nazis would escape the punishment that they really do deserve? This is, this is where Jonah is. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want them to have God's grace. The Assyrians were brutal and potentially worse than the Nazis. So consider a Jewish evangelist called to Berlin... He would probably run the opposite direction, same as Jonah did. When Jonah was called to this evil, cruel city of Nineveh. So, so now you've got, you've got a little, at least a little bit of context. A Jewish evangelist called to Berlin at the height of the Nazi empire would probably run the opposite direction. Because he didn't want God's mercies. This is Jonah. 
Jonah wants Nineveh to have none of God's mercies. He does not want a great revival. And God used Jonah anyway. <laughs> Talk about a guy who didn't want to be used. Talk about a guy who didn't want to be successful. And now the whole thing winds down. And we get to chapter 4 that I already read. Jonah is angry. It's over. In fact, he is so upset, he wishes he could die. And again, he almost feels like a traitor to his own people. Supposing a Jewish evangelist had led this great revival against the Nazis, he'd almost feel like a traitor against his own people, considering what the Nazis had done to them. Jonah's so upset about this revival, he comes to God and says, I, I just assume die. Saying, Gene, did he go that far? Jonah chapter 4, verse 3. So now I ask you, Lord, please kill me. It's better for me to die than to live. That sounds crazy, but, but again... A Jewish evangelist who spared the wrath of God on Nazis? That's how Jonah feels. He's so upset, so disappointed, so hurt that the revival had done so well, he wants to die. He can't believe how the events have turned out. God, why did you allow this? You ever cry that out? You ever say that? God, why did you allow this to happen in my life? God, why did you allow this to me? Jonah's basically saying, of all the preachers you could have sent to Nineveh, you sent me? I think God wants mature servants. And at times we can act like children. Selfish, short-sighted, because we just don't see the big picture. Jonah leaves Nineveh in a pout, wants to die, but he doesn't go far. To me, this is the best part of the story, not, not, not the fish. Here is where it all comes together. In chapter 4, he doesn't go far. The guy literally climbs a hill and makes a camp just in case God still destroys the city. He doesn't want to hear about it. He wants to see it. So he makes this camp. He's on the 50-yard line to cheer. He goes out and says, okay, just in case you destroy them, I want to watch. Really? Jonah chapter 4, verse 5. Jonah went out and sat down east of the city. There he made a shelter, waiting to see what would happen to the city. He ain't hoping for good things. Just in case God still destroys the city for the few that didn't repent, he wants to see it. He didn't want to hear about it. He wants to watch it. So he's on the 50-yard line. Can you see him? Burn, baby, burn! And because of this terrible attitude, God now needs to teach his servant a lesson, which is a lesson he teaches to us. And it's here that the entire story comes together. I, I kind of feel bad that when you talk about Jonah, people go, oh, the big fish. But they don't really know chapter 4 is where it all comes together. The fish was just bringing them back. This is the climax. Jonah's problem now is different than chapter 1. Chapter 1, it's willful disobedience. Go to Nineveh, he goes to Tarshish. That's, that's just plain out pure disobedience, isn't it? Fourth chapter, it's a different problem. Now it's attitude and maturity. yes. He obeyed. Yes, he went to Nineveh. He hated every second of it. You ever, you ever been there? You ever obeyed what God told you to do, but you hated it? You didn't want to do it, but you still did it. Never has anybody wanted to fail like Jonah wanted to in Nineveh. Never had anybody had such sadness over success than Jonah did in Nineveh. I mean, the guy cries out, kill me. God wants his beloved servant Jonah to get the big picture. God's view of the situation. I think sometimes 
He teaches us maturity. When our own attitude is our view, we need to almost pull back and say, what, what's your view? What, what's the big picture? So he gives them an object lesson to help his servant realize he has a problem here of his own self, his own attitude, but he doesn't understand God's big picture. First, he's sitting in the sun, and God works a miracle. He allows a shade tree to come up right now, covering him in shade, sitting in comfort, waiting on God to destroy the city. But he's sitting in wonderful comfort. He loves the shade. Talk, talk about the perfect gift. Jonah chapter 4, verse 6. Take a look. The Lord made a plant grow quickly up over Jonah. She gave him shade, helped him to be more comfortable. Jonah was pleased to have the plant. Of course he was. Cool shade. I mean, I see this guy, don't you? He's got a deck chair, Hawaiian shirt, a couple of Twinkies, Coca-Cola. Oh, pool boy, my glass needs ice. He is in absolute heaven up there. I see him in the shade, cool drink, deck chair, Hawaiian shirt, just in case. Oh, pool boy. You know, it can't get better than this. And then the Lord causes a worm to come the very next day and completely destroy the, the tree. And what God does, which I love, after he takes the shade away, God turns up the thermostat. He said, tell you what, let's make the hot winds blow. Let's really sweat this guy out. So he throws him in a sauna. He takes the shade out, and then he says, I'm going to make it even hotter than it typically is. Let's just burn him a little bit. Jonah chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. But the next day when the sun rose, God said to warm to attack the plant, and it died. It's weird gardening, isn't it? Bang, bang. The sun rose higher in that sky. God sent a hot east wind to blow, and the sun became so hot on Jonah's head he became weak. He wished he were dead. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Doesn't this guy get to you a little bit? He wants to die again. What a roller coaster. Verse 6, he's happy as a clam. Verse 8, he wants to die. Is there a part of you that kind of says, crying out loud, grow up. Crying out loud, grow up. Some people live their whole life on a spiritual roller coaster. They could be high and low in the same day. 24 hours difference. And part of you sometimes it says, you know, you would do a whole lot better spiritually if you just grew up. You don't have the lack of tact to say that. But it kind of comes into your mind. Because this guy Jonah is a little bit like us. Until we live in the big picture, we could be flown, thrown all over the place. In a 24-hour period, Jonah was happy, and 24 hours later he wants to die. He's got the shade, he loses the shade. Small things can ruin us. In Jonah's case, it was a worm. God tells him, grow up. Get the big picture. See everything through my eyes. And maybe your trajectory will change. See everything through my eyes and understand what's really going on. In the case of Jonah, it strikes me, God gave him comfort he didn't deserve. Jonah didn't earn the tree. Sometimes he gives us our heart's desires. I think sometimes he allows us to have luxury. Sometimes he gives us wonderful things, the shade tree. Everything we have sooner or later is by the grace of God, by his hand. But like Jonah, can we get upset if we lose some of that comfort? 
We kick and moan like a spoiled child. We love the thought, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away as long as the Lord giveth. We're not real keen on the Lord taketh away. And the reason we might lose something, we might not even know in this lifetime. Here, at this object lesson of the tree, the Lord drives home his point. It's really the text for today. Those three verses that kind of wrap up the story of Jonah. Jonah 4, 9, 10, and 11. I want you to see it. Now he's teaching. He's lived the tree experience. Now it's time to say, here's what's going on. But God said to Jonah, do you think it's right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah answered, it's right for me to be angry. I'm so angry I could die. I mean, crying out loud, kill this guy. No, I didn't say that out loud. And the Lord said, you're so concerned for the plant even though you did nothing to make it grow. It appeared one day and the next day it died. Then shouldn't I show concern for the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who don't know right from wrong, and many animals too? What's he really saying here? Get the big picture. Look at everything through my eyes, not through your eyes. Jonah, why are you so angry about a plant? Give, give me one good reason. The whole story of Jonah leads to these verses. Can't you see that you're being short-sighted? You're concerned over a plant. I'm concerned over 120,000 people. Those people are mine. They're living in sin. I made them. I love them. I don't want them to perish. My dear Jonah, I love you. But please grow up. Please get the big picture. See everything in your life in my picture. See it through my eyes. i got to tell you, I guess the reason Jonah's story is in the Bible not to blow us away about a fish. I think it's for us to get a lesson here. We could get hung up on incidentals. Minor stuff. While so many are living without Christ, no direction, no purpose. Are, are we more focused on the paint on the house or the people inside? Maturity might be seeing everything through the eyes of God. Maturity might be seeing everything through his perspective. It's the big picture. I think every story deserves an epilogue. The epilogue would be, did Jonah learn his lesson? I don't know. But I think so. In fairness to Jonah, number one, he wrote the book. I think it'd take a big man to write about his own immaturity and his journey to growing. So I think we can assume good things about him. He wrote the book. In fact, Luke 31, excuse me, 11, verse 32, talks about Jonah and calls him a great prophet. So yeah, in my own mind, I suspect he learned the lesson that God's trying to always, always, always teach us. Grow up. Focus on eternal. Focus on the important. Live our entire life in the big picture. If we do that, I think we sidestep a lot of hand grenades in our life. If we do that, we sidestep a lot of heartache in our life. Because Satan is always trying to create small pictures. And when he does that, it leads to hurt. At least a heartache in our lives. Because we see things through our perspective. And that's natural. Who doesn't want to see things through our own perspective? But if we could see things through God's perspective all the time, I wonder how much heartache we could miss. How much damage happens to our life. On our journey. And what is seeing things through God's eyes? Here it comes, over and over. Living kingdom. So I live my life that God receives glory, 
that everything else is a symptom. How I am as a husband, girls, how you are as a, as a wife, mom, how you are, what your character is, how you are at work, how you carry yourself in everyday life, living your life that God receives glory, leads you to eventually see everything through the eyes of God. Living your life in the big picture. I guess the basic story of Jonah, the lesson of not seeing things in small like a worm in a shade tree, but seeing things in the big picture of the 120,000 of Nineveh. Father, we come before you. Such a small book in the Old Testament, just a few chapters, but what a powerful lesson and convicting lesson. For we're told very carefully, don't live small. Don't live for today. Don't live over minor things. Pretty soon it'll be habitual that every minor thing will trip us. Every minor thing will hurt us. And we'll live in a life of spiritual immaturity. You come along to us and say, see it in my eyes. Jonah, you're worried about a tree and a worm. I'm worried about 120,000 people who I love, who are lost. May we have a passion for you. May we have a passion to live out the big picture of what you are doing in my life, what you're doing in my church, what you're doing in my community, what you're doing in my country, what you're doing in my world. May I see what you're doing and join you and live my life in a big picture mentality. Father, we praise you. We thank you for your presence as we've gathered together today. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.